Hi, everyone. On the interview with Coach David Hampson, the audio sounds kind of weird. We had some technical difficulties in the recording on Hampson's end was a little bit uh, finicky. So if it sounds like we're recording inside a swarm of bees, it's because we are. Thanks so much. Have a great time listening to the podcast. Episode 17 of The Burning Bird. I'm Steve Leinert. I'll be doing the color commentary when the season starts for AUDL.TV. I'm joined by my regular partner in crime, Alexander Shaggy Shregis. Shaggy, how you doing today, buddy? Great. Stuck in my house. I've been stuck in my house for, you know, a week and a half. I'll be stuck in my house for who knows how long. Yes, it's we, we are all stuck in our respective homes. We are joined on The Burning Bird this week by... Phoenix head coach Dave Hampson. Dave, thanks for joining us, buddy. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here and talk any and all things Phoenix. Now, how are you handling the uh, uh, the isolation from the team in general? I mean, how are you? I mean, you got to be kind of chopping at the bit to get your hands back on these guys, and uh, and and now you're being forced to to be at home. Uh, how are you? How are you holding up through through this whole thing? Like, what are you what are you doing to get to, to make the days go by here? Yeah, so it's actually kind of interesting because even before this whole coronavirus sort of took the world by storm, I guess uh, I was actually traveling internationally in India for about a week and a half before kind of everything happened. So I had already missed two practices uh, with the guys that we had being in India. And then kind of when I was overseas, everything, you know, got crazier. So by the time I landed back in the U.S., I was basically just put into quarantine for 14 days because I was internationally traveling. So I had already missed the previous two practices. So I already hadn't seen the team in a couple weeks. And now, you know, with the AUDL suspended for, you know, a month or so. And I guess kind of all the teams in the league really aren't practicing right now, or at least the ones that I know of. Um so it's definitely been interesting. Um, it's really boring sitting at home all the time and, and not doing anything. But at the same time, we've been able to plan future practices, you know, get the team doing workouts at home, uh, watch a lot of film on our new opponents in the Atlantic Division. You know, a lot of teams we haven't got to play yet, and a lot of players remain the same in the league. So we've gotten good mental reps in a lot of other ways, but we're all pretty excited to get back to normalcy whenever – that happens, you know, kind of remains to be seen when that starts again. How, how, and uh, how often are you in contact with uh, with Nate Vendetta, your assistant coach there, and the, uh, the your your defensive uh, coordinator? How often do you guys talk? Nate and I probably talk once or twice a week. Nate's in an interesting situation where he's a, a school teacher, so a lot of this stuff happening now has made his schedule a little more hectic than most. Doing a lot of that online teaching. And he's also a grad student at Penn. So he's been taking a lot of classes and doing a lot of classes. So I try not to bother Nate so much when <laughs> when his services aren't needed because he's focused on doing a lot of other things. But, you know, we speak whenever, really whenever we need to, probably at least once a week. Um, but, yeah, we're, we're in good contact and we've worked together for now. This will be our third year. So we feel like we know each other pretty well and know what we want want to accomplish. So that's helpful. All right. 
uh, Shaggy, feel free to chime in with anything you got going on. I, I got a ton more questions. I could go on for, for quite some time here. I, I, if you have anything you want to add in there, feel free to just to, to cut us off here. Uh, but, uh, all right, so so Hanson, uh, Shaggy, and, and Shaggy's, uh, one of his super stats of the week, there's <laughs> Shaggy showing his cat on the Google Hangouts that we're doing here today, uh, which is pretty funny. Nice job there, Shag. Got uh, it. Just chiming in. Yeah, right. It's, <laughs> I don't, please edit this part out. <laughs> Anyway, uh, so Hampson, one of the one of the stats that Shaggy brought up today is that I don't know if you know this or not, but uh, you are still the career playoff record holder for goals scored in a playoff game for the Phoenix. How how much do you want that to change this year? I would love for that to change. Uh, I, I mean, to be honest. Philadelphia Phoenix have only seen one playoff game back in 2013, if I remember correctly, which would be our first season. We had a stellar team. We had a lot of fun, a lot of good players. Some of those still remain on the Phoenix now. Uh, But we played the New York Empire in the game at Wildwood, New Jersey, because it was during uh, Wildwood weekend. So we got the AUDL to help us move the game to just outside Wildwood during the same weekend. So it was actually a, an awesome event because everyone that was attending the Wildwood Beach Tournament was able to come watch the game about two miles away. Um, so it was awesome. The game was a ton of fun. But I'm not the goal leaders uh, for the AUDL Phoenix just, you know, based off of uh, skill by any means. It had to be that I was lucky enough to play in the game and I had an okay game. So I would love for that stat to be demolished by the end of this season. That would mean that you uh, would have, would have made the playoffs, which would be I, I would have to imagine one of the big goals for the Phoenix this season. Absolutely, I think I think you know I scored four goals in that game, if yep. I remember correctly. So that might be the record right there. So I would assume that if we got into a playoff game, it, that record might be beat by by multiple players in one shot. So that's <laughs> that's my hope. You're actually you're tied with uh, for playoff goals all time with another current Phoenix player. Do you have any guesses as to who it is? It's probably Kenny Wells. (laughs) It is. He had, he also holds the record for assists, three assists and four goals. He must have had a big game. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I I guess that counts as a big game. (laughs) How many more games like that are you looking from K-Dub for this year? I mean, hopefully a lot. Kenny's a really talented player. Uh, I mean, he, you know, when I first met him, his M.O. was, I mean, the kid could sky almost anybody. It was, you know, when you threw up a 50-50 to Kenny, it was more like an 80-20, and you just sort of expected Kenny to get it. Um, his game has definitely evolved over the years. He's a he's a much more intelligent player. Um, he's really good with spatial awareness. Uh, he's still good in the air, but he's improved his game in a lot of other ways. So it's kind of fun to watch him play now just to see the type of player he is versus when I played with him. He was he was a one-trick pony, but the one trick was really, really good. That leads me to your your tryouts that, you, that, that the Phoenix ran this year. They seem to be more intense, more focused than they had been in previous years. 
what were you looking for from different uh, from different players this year uh, as opposed to uh, previous seasons? And what made you pick a player like K-Dub that seemingly was uh, like perhaps past his prime a little bit? So I don't I don't know that a whole lot necessarily changed, especially from this year's trial to last year's. We actually used kind of the same model this year that we used last year as far as how the tryout was run. We we really want to ramp up the intensity and things at this year's trial because a lot of I mean a lot of the AUDL is I mean you're gonna show up, you're gonna play one game and you either get a win or a loss and you go home. You know, it's not a tournament where you have time to sort of like you could take a loss early in a tournament and get your team sort of ramped up to where you want to go to win. You know, the AUDL, you have to be able to show up, you know, stretch, warm up, and you got to be ready to go right now. And a lot of that is a mindset of a player. And we felt like that if we ramped up the intensity of tryouts and we were like, we're going to go now, it was good for us to see if players could kind of flip that switch whenever they needed to and, and ramp up their level of play. Um, so really – you know, you know, when we're looking for players, we're looking for people that are mentally tough. Um, but more importantly, we're looking for players that are willing to do their job and do their role. You know, you don't need 20 superstars on an, on a field. You know, it's a, you know, you see a lot in other sports where, I mean, think about even this all season, like LeBron James and Anthony Davis. You know, the questions are, can two superstars play together? How will they coexist? And I think there's some truth to that in sports. When you're, when you're just searching for superstars everywhere, sometimes they mesh really well and it works really well, but you really don't need all of that. And what, what we're focused on here is we have some really elite-level players. We want to find what we call the glue guys. We want to find the guys that are willing to play any position as many points as we need them to and play it with energy and effort and are good team guys. And K-Dub falls, I mean, for me, because we were just talking about him, he, he falls in that role. He's a guy that... I can ask to play offense or defense. I can ask to handle or cut. I can ask him to do whatever whatever I need, and I know that he's going to go do that, and he's going to go do it at 110%. And there's a lot to be said about people that can give you consistent effort. Uh, so that's key for us when, when picking a team. Speaking of uh, picking the team, uh, Shaggy had a uh, question last week that we posed to Mike Arcada, and perhaps it's better posed to, to you. Um, he was wondering on, on offense, who's got the inside track for that sixth and seventh starter position right now? Is that something you can divulge? Can you give us a, a couple names, or is that uh, is it too early for you to tell right now? I mean, it's definitely too early to tell who, like, I would say, these are my seven starters and I'm running them out there. I mean, we, we have the usual suspects that, you know, we will see playing a lot of points. You know, we will see Sean Mott on a lot <laughs> A lot of points. We'll see Himalaya Meadow on a lot of points. Mike's uh, an interesting player that we can put on offense, and Mike's going to dominate. But Mike is also an incredible defender that we can throw him on the D line. He's going to take the hardest matchup. You know, we picked up some new players this year, and Matt Hanna, that's an incredible cutter. Uh, even Matt Glazer, you know, he's been in Philly for a long time, is a guy that understands the game at a level that a lot of other players don't. He can offer a lot of insight. He's an incredible cutter. Um, you know, Kenny can cut, uh, you know, we have Dustin that can play there. Connor Boyle stepped up big time last year. You know, there is, you know, not to mention the pickup of Alex Thorne this year, which is huge for our team. Um, there are so many players that, that we can kind of plug into the O-line 
that more what we're going to look about is, is forming a roster of 20 players where we can pull multiple players over. When 0-1 gets broken this year, we're not going to run the same seven players out over and over again. We have so many talented players now that are able to, you know, we could easily run out an 0-2 line without any of those seven, and that would be a line that I'm very confident in. So it, it, it'll be tough. It, it's one of the hardest decisions I'm going to have this year is figuring out, I guess, quote-unquote, who the starters are. It's more about who's got the best chemistry together, and that's, you know, been hard to figure out with only a few practices under the belt with the coronavirus happening. So it remains to be seen, but I'm hopeful – we have a ton of players that can fill that role. We just have to figure out who that's going to be. All right, real quick, since you brought up Alex Thorn, can you uh, compare and contrast Alex Thorn to Ethan Fortin? And like, what what are the strengths and what are the weaknesses each one brings to the table? Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I, I can definitely try. They're they are definitely different players. Um, Ethan Fortin to me is a player that is is. I guess word is safer than Alex. Like when Ethan has the disc, he's always looking for the hundred percent throw, or at least he was for us. He was, you know, his amount of completions to turnovers, he's completing far more passes, you know, than his turnover rate. I think it was like 90, maybe 6% or 95% for the season. So he's got a high completion rate. And Ethan also understands offenses really well. Um, He knows where he wants the disc to be and he works to get it there. Um, so it's easier for me to sort of like evaluate his game. He's also really strong. Ethan is a, a physical player. Um, you know, if you body him up, he's able to hold that space. Uh, he's also able to get into spaces that he wants by kind of bullying his way in there. He's, he's a strong kid. Um, Alex, I haven't gotten, you know, the chance to see as much. You know, I've seen his games from like, you know, watching him playing with Pitt all the way back in college to seeing him play Pony or Temper or even – you know, I played against him when he was on the DC Breeze, you know, so I got to match up against him a few times. Um, Alex, to me, the word that comes to mind is he's really creative. Alex throws a lot of throws and sees a lot of things that I don't think a lot of other players see. And even watching him practice, you know, two or three times, he'll make a throw or make a movement that I'm sitting there going, wow, I really like that. Like, you know, I didn't see that kind of thing. So I, I think he offers our offense a creativity that we haven't had in the past. Uh, and I'm sort of excited to see him work with someone like Mott and some of the other guys who I think are pretty creative. I think they're going to use the throws and spaces on the field, especially so much larger, in, uh, in ways that we haven't yet on the Phoenix. And I'm excited to see that. Um, all right, so now you, 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 you touched on it earlier, the Atlantic Division, the new Atlantic Division. Who are you looking forward the most to playing in the new Atlantic division? That that's a, that's a tough question. I'm looking forward to playing almost anyone that's new, to be honest. I know it's kind of a safe answer, but I mean, I've been a part of playing for the Phoenix and coaching the Phoenix since, since the start, since 2013, I had like, I think a one year hiatus in there in like 2016. We've always played the same teams. So I'm, thrilled to be playing Atlanta and Florida and Raleigh and Pitt. Like there's just all these teams where it's like, we haven't gotten the opportunities to play this team other than Pitt that one game, but you know, they, they only traveled about eight players from the roster. Uh, so that wasn't even a real kind of a real test there. You know, I really want to play Pitt Pitt's roster. Um, and, and they're all exciting for different reasons. Florida's got a couple guys that I know, 
uh, on the team. So I'm excited to play them and just see them play. Raleigh's exciting just because, I mean, I think everyone can't deny that they've been one of the best teams since they've existed. Their roster top to bottom is names that if you're in the ultimate community, you recognize, right? If you're just reading through the roster, you're going, man, that's going to be a tough game. But it's also really exciting for us to sort of see what we can stack up against these teams. Um, you know, you got Max Shepard and a lot of the guys on pit, Anson Reppermond, a lot of them. I played with them, uh, you know, at first night of flight a lot of years and Jonathan Mass. I'm excited to see those guys. They're good guys. They're talented players. But I think a lot of these games are going to be tight, competitive games. But I think we're going to be in them and be winning a lot of them. So I'm just excited to play anyone new. All right. And well, and, and looking backwards a little bit as, as far as your former opponents, like you were, you were sort of a mini star in Canada, especially Montreal. Uh, they loved you up there. Um, are, how much are you going to miss those Canadian trips? So, a lot actually. I, I, so those of you who don't know, I live with Dustin Damiano. We've actually talked about the Canada trip a few times. Um, he's uh, now a pl- he's a player on the team for the last two or three years here, and um, I love Canada. And I think the biggest reason why is <laughs> those guys know how to put on a show. Like, when you play in Canada, it's not like playing in the rest of the place in the division. You know, you can go to New York. You can go to D.C. Frankly, you can even come to Philly. And sometimes you can't always count on, like, the best fan attendance. You know, some games are great and some games, you know, you kind of have a lull in there. When you go to Canada, they're, like, lowly attended games that they're basically apologizing for. Not enough fans being there. It's like seven to 800 people. And you're just looking around like... This is awesome. You know, the stadiums are great. The refs that they have in Canada really know their stuff. They're really good on the rules. Um, it's some of the best officiated games. You know, it's, you know, there was times they have, like, instant replay in Toronto on the screen up there. You can, like, watch your play after you make it. And it's, it gives you the feeling of a professional sport. And not to mention that Canada is just fun to take the trip with the guys, you know, to cross the border and hang out and hang in Montreal and do all those things so I'm really gonna miss it and we've made kind of friends with almost everyone on Toronto and on Montreal and even a bunch of the Ottawa guys uh, just because we've played them so many times so it's bittersweet it's nice to play new people but we'll definitely miss the production that the Canadian teams put on they do a great job we'll uh we'll leave out the story about the time when some Phoenix players weren't able to cross the border (laughs) more than once yeah, it happened more than once, but that's what happens when it's the uh, the origins of a professional sport and traveling, yeah. especially. Yes. Abroad, uh, yes, there, there's been a, more than a few complications uh, getting across the border with an entire team intact. Um, but uh, that's a, that's another burning bird for another day. Um, well, also you're going south now, right? You won't have to worry about going to Canada in April and having your games get snowed out. And honestly, not having passports is huge because there are many years that people would just not get them or forget to get them. You're like, how the hell are we supposed to take you to this game? You didn't have a passport. So. <laughs> right, it takes so long to get your passport. What do you think was going to happen? Yeah. You were just going like, to, over the week? Now we don't have to do that, so that's exciting. <laughs> it's one, one less logistical nightmare yes. for the Phoenix. Oh, my goodness. All right, so uh, what do you real quick? We're gonna touch. We're, we're gonna give a try to give us like real quick answers to these. So, the South Philly Super Site, 
versus the Conchahawk and AA Garthway Stadium. How much do you like like the super site more than AA Garthway? I like the location of the super site. It's awesome to be in Philly and be more accessible for more fans. And having turf gives us the ability to dodge the nightmare of all of our games having rain, which apparently in the last two seasons, if there's a Philadelphia Phoenix game scheduled in Conchahawk, it must rain or thunderstorm. So this saves us from having to play in the mud or having games canceled for reasons that we can't control. So huge. Um, the game at the length, how was that for you? The, uh, the, 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 the showcase at the halftime of the uh, Eagle Seahawks game earlier this year. How great was that for you? It was fun. Honestly, I didn't have a ton of expectations about what the fans would think or really what anyone would think. I just took it as a cool opportunity, but when the Dallas players got announced first and all of the Philly fans started booing, that was when I was like, ah, they're actually paying attention. Like, this is pretty cool. So that was fun. Like, you hear Dallas and you're in a Philly stadium and it's instantaneously boo. And, you know, you got great cheers for the Philly guys when we got announced. So that was exciting. I think that's when I kind of realized, like, people are actually watching this and paying attention. Um, so that was great. And uh, let's talk real quick about Fox Sports 2 that the uh... – the Phoenix are going to be on, I believe it's week 13, well, whenever week 13 might be, um, against the Boston Glory. Uh, what do you what do you think about what, – what are your thoughts on that upgrade for the AUDL? I mean, for the AUDL and just for Ultimate in general, it's huge, right? The more that we can get on to the ESPNs and the Fox Sports and all these other things just to get – recognition and and views right the idea is in order to spread this sport people have to see it people have to learn about it and they have to want to play it um so this is the first step right we're getting it out there so that people can view it so i mean it's it's huge the AUDL is doing a great job at getting us these sponsorships and getting us these opportunities and now it's up up to us as players and coaches to make sure that we're going out there and we're putting on a good show that we're prepared um and that we're playing the game the right way and it's, it's really about us now. So we've got to go out there and do our job. All right. And, and lastly there, Dave, I mean, the, probably the most important question of the, of the podcast for you right now. Uh, what is the, what are the goals for the Philadelphia Phoenix for the 2020 season? I mean, we didn't send out an email and ask people or anything like that, but I think it's safe to say that anyone that, that, that puts on a uniform for competition ever in any sport you want to win. Our goal is to win. Our goal is always to win. Um, you know, I would love to be holding an, an, an AUDL championship by the end of the season. That You know, that's the ultimate dream, obviously. But for me, I, I don't see why this team should not play its way into the playoffs. My goal is that we will be in the playoffs, and then from there anything happens, right? There's a reason you play the game. Um I expect our guys to be working hard enough to make the playoffs. I expect our players to believe that we can make the playoffs, and I expect to put in the work to do that. All right. Shaggy, you got anything over there, bud? Yeah, Hampson, who's the nice coach between you and Nate? Who's the nice coach? That's interesting. So Nate and I play good cop, good cop. Uh, (laughs) Nate and I are both really nice. We don't generally lose our cool, but it is funny that, like, when every now and then Nate or I get upset and we try to get angry, we generally make ourselves look stupid when we're doing it. Um, 
but neither one of us are a really bad cop. But Nate's better at disappointing people than I am. There's sometimes I'll be like, Nate, I don't know how to say this. Can you say it? And he'll say, yeah, I got it. So I guess if there's got to be a bad cop, Nate's better at it. Uh, if you were in jail for some reason and they told you you had to call a player as your one call, which player would you call? Oh, that's tough. Um, I would probably call Hemi. He's the most responsible person we have <laughs> by far. Uh, and if he says he's going to do something, he's going to do it. My gut instinct would be like, I'd call Mott. He's my boy, but I can't ever get Mott to pick up the phone. <laughs> ever. So I'd probably waste that phone call if I called him. In the reverse, which player do you think is calling you with their one phone call? With their one phone call? Brandon Pastor is probably calling me with his one phone call. <laughs> that was quick. <laughs> do, yeah, like do, we expect, do we expect some problems from Brandon this year? No, there, oh, no, no, no. It's just he's the only one. You know, he comes over to my house sometimes. He plays Delaware League, which I play. We get, you know, we have get-togethers at my house. So he's probably the one that I just see the most outside of Dustin, who I live with. Um, he's probably just the one I see the most. Makes sense. It's funny that he's calling you and not Dustin. <laughs> no, Dustin knows that I am not terribly responsible and I probably wouldn't follow through on whatever he actually needed. Uh, so he would not call me. <laughs> We've lived together for seven years. He knows better. <laughs> I, that's what I got. Any, what are you, any, uh, you have a, you have a super stat of the week, Shag. Still two. Yeah, I do. No, it's not still two. Uh, Hamson has one other record. He shares the record with two other people, but can you guess as to what the other Hampson record is on the Phoenix record page? What are you asking me this? Either one of you, yeah. Um, most completions in a game? No, I'd say points played. No, you're not close on any of that. It's uh, it's it's most blocks in a single game with five. You share that with uh. Phoenix Lifer, Matt Esser, and Will Honey. <laughs> I got five blocks in a game. Five blocks in the game on April 21st, 2013 against okay, well, that Toronto. that was the only year that I could because it was the only year that I was worth anything on a team. <laughs> I'll, I'll second that. I, I know that as factual information. <laughs> <laughs> I will also say that stats back then were really bad, so I probably got three of those Ds without even possibly being on the field. You so, were... This you're true. You're also the only person to have a record against a team that still exists. The other two people picked up their records against Rochester, New Jersey, and New Jersey. Same game for Will and Matt against the New Jersey so, Hammerheads. That must have been a mess. Did I get New York then? No, or you East? played Toronto. Oh, Toronto. Got the big boys. All right, cool, cool. <laughs> Put them in oh. your book. And by the way, Dave, Dave, we would be we would be remiss if we didn't congratulate you on your impending nuptials. Um, oh, congratulations you. on your engagement, and I, I, we, I'm sure I speak for Shaggy when I say that uh, we both wish you uh, all the best uh, moving forward with everything you got going on this year. Thank you, I appreciate that. I'm excited for the year as Phoenix and the year is getting married. It should be all good stuff. It it should be. Yeah, it's all so, up from here, right? So. Uh, Next week on the Burning Bird, we're going to uh, we're going to implement a, uh, a a a new segment. We're going to unveil the game of the week, where we go back and look at Phoenix games, uh, uh, Phoenix games past, and.
and uh, we're gonna uh, we're gonna dive into different aspects of the game as if it was a uh, ESPN type of production, hopefully. And we're gonna we're gonna have different things like you know turning points, best plays, um, things the announcers said that were interesting. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna delve into everything that goes on around and in the game, and uh, hopefully it, it turns out to be a lot of fun. So we're gonna next week we're gonna start with the May nineteenth game against the Toronto Rush at home, probably the biggest win in Phoenix franchise history. And we're going to delve into different uh, different aspects of the game, and hopefully it'll be an interesting and, and, and different aspect to the podcast to help keep us entertained during these particularly trying times. Steve, where can people find that game if they want to watch it? They can find it on AUDL.TV, Shag. Oh, nice. <laughs> that's where we'll be watching it, right? That's that's what that's what we will be watching the <laughs> previous games on AUDL.TV. All right, well, uh, Phoenix fans, we're gonna take a little break. You know, listen to the little commercials, and um, we'll be right back for Alexander Shaggy Shragus for Dave Hampson. I'm Steve Liner. We'll be right back. Head on over to AUDL.TV and pick yourself up a subscription to watch all of the AUDL games throughout the season, including your Philadelphia Phoenix. Watch your Philadelphia Phoenix take on the Boston Glory on Wednesday, July 1st on Fox Sports 2. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Burning Bird. So for those of you who know, which is nobody at this point, we did a uh, interview. I interviewed the owner of the Philadelphia Phoenix, Dr. Christina Chung, and the general manager, Dr. Jeff George. I interviewed them on Wednesday. Since Wednesday, a lot of things have changed. Governor Wolf has issued a state of emergency for the entire state of Pennsylvania. The city, the mayor of Philadelphia, Mayor Kenny, has issued a stay-at-home order. Phil, uh, New Jersey and Delaware have all issued stay-at-home orders. So a lot of things that we talked about um, during that interview didn't make any sense, so, or they were no longer applicable. So we've just decided to redo it. So hi, uh, <laughs> Jeff and... Christina, how are you guys doing on this beautiful rainy Monday in Philadelphia? Just about as well as everybody else is doing on a rainy Monday where we're all supposed to stay at home. <laughs> Fantastic. Thanks, Shag. I'm glad. So what is it that you guys, what are your day jobs? I mean, Christina, you're the owner and Jeff, you're the general manager of the Phoenix. And I, I know we all wish that's all you guys did, but in reality, that is not. What, are, what do you do when you're not busy worrying about Frisbee? So Jeff and I own the team together. I'm technically the majority owner. And I like to say, and, and I, I used to think that I was primarily a dermatologist, but um, for the past year or so, the Phoenix certainly has sucked up a lot of my life. Um, but I am. Uh, my primary uh, career is that of uh, a dermatologist. So I um, used to work in academics for about the first 16 years of my career. I've been in private practice for about the past year and a half. Yeah. Um I'm the GM of the Phoenix and also the co-owner, Shaggy. Christina doesn't own the whole damn thing. Sorry. <laughs> You're right. Um, Not bad. I practice emergency medicine. Um, I work here locally in Philadelphia at the VA. And I also work down in Maryland, working in a pretty busy emergency department down there. So, yeah, that's what I do. I'm also a professional gambler, as, as, we've, as we've talked about many times. <laughs> 
Yeah, although it's much harder now, I imagine, now that there are no sports going on. It's brutal. Yeah, it's tough to be a professional camp player. It's 3 o'clock. It's uh, Monday. There's, there would normally be some sort of soccer game to watch and bet on and make my afternoon perfect, but that's not happening. So what is a stay-at-home order? What does that really mean? Like, I was looking at it, and it didn't seem any different from what I, I had been doing. Because it says, like, try to stay at home unless you absolutely have to leave the house. That's, you know, that's what we're doing anyway. So what is it now that uh, I'm no longer allowed to do? So I think that there's, so until then, it was just all non-essential businesses had to close, right? Then there was a big stink, and it was like, what's considered an essential business? Um, And Governor Wolf was kind of, you know, they were kind of revised that list. Um, But the intention of the of the, I guess, ruling that only essential businesses could stay open was to try and keep as many people home as possible and not be gathering outside as groups, right? So not be walking to work, not taking public transportation, not, you know, feeling as though they can all go to one bar at the same time or, you know, one restaurant at the same time. Um, But I think, unfortunately, we fell a little bit of victim to the weather um, because it's been so nice out that, you know, all of these rules and regulations are being put forth so that we're trying to decrease the transmission of the virus by decreasing the amount of people that are out um, who could be spreading it. So I honestly think that this is kind of a one step up from just saying non-essential or that non-essential business have to close and one step down from sheltering in place, which was kind of like, you know, devised for like the nuclear, I don't know, bomb threats um, of the 1980s and 90s where everybody had to stay where they were and like not even move, like you're stuck at work if you're stuck at work for the, like, the next two weeks. Um, I, it seems as though the stay-at-home order really is now that people are not working and the weather's so nice. I mean, I'm sure you've seen it. If you're allowed to go for a run or a jog and the kids and we are, you know, going to throw a frisbee in the park or going for a jog or walk together, and I'm sure you notice that there are lots of people still having picnics and playing basketball and hanging out with friends. And I myself find like myself looking at people, groups of people and saying, do this look like a family that's, that's, that's out together? Or does it look like six teenagers that are just like hanging out because they're bored, you know, because six teenagers hanging out because they're not bored. You know, you multiply that uh, to scale and you pretty much don't have social distancing. And what you will have is antithetical to the entire goal of us trying to not transmit it um, from family to family. We can't do anything about all our loved ones that we live together, but we really want the transmission to slow so that we don't overwhelm the health system at once. And so it's kind of like an in-between. I mean, you, you see in the news, they say we're entertaining a shelter in uh, in place order. And I think that if people don't get it and they keep doing things like going on picnics, having pickup games, you know, gathering in groups just for fun, even if it's just like four teenagers getting together to take a walk in the park. Um, I think, you know, they'll evaluate what the trends are in terms of transmission and cases diagnosed. And they may say shelter at place in, in, in place, um, which is kind of where we don't want to go. So uh, it's kind of like the government being like, stay at home and stop going out and hang out with friends. <laughs> so I, is that good then that this is where we are or is that, um, in Pennsylvania, we are here, but in other places, they are, they are at uh, shelter in place. Well, I think it all depends on the situation, 
right? I mean, New York City is now the pandemic's epicenter of the world. And as of yesterday, they had 5% of all the cases on the planet. Um, and so I think that in places like that, they their case number is rising exponentially and they really need to do everything they can to prevent people from tra transmitting the disease further. Um, they've actually even hinted that it might just be out of control already and what's gonna happen is gonna happen. I think here in Philadelphia, I think it's really important because as the numbers show, you know, we are slowly rising. We haven't gotten to that exponential rise yet. And I think it's really important for us not to get to the exponential rise state because once that exponential rise happens, all you're doing is playing catch up. And in medicine and science, you never want to be continue. You never want to be in the position of playing catch up. It's kind of like ultimate frisbee, right? Like you don't want to go down six one in the first five minutes and then play catch up for like the last three and a half quarters, right? Yeah. <laughs> so I think it's. I think it is very important. I think that everyone needs to realize that this is not for themselves, but this is for like the greater good. And I think yeah. that by everybody staying in place and and listening to these 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 requests, I think people need to understand in the, in the grand scheme of things, it will help us get back to normal faster. Have you seen, I mean, today it's raining, so maybe that's forcing people inside, but do you think that this is enough that people in Philadelphia are, are going to get it? Or, I mean, you guys have been, uh, a, definitely at least since, you know, last week, you guys have been ahead of the curve for most people, I think, in sort of predicting what's going to happen. Um, I don't want to lay that burden on you, but do you think that this is going to be enough or that people in Philadelphia are going to struggle to get what social distancing and not going to the park actually means. I don't know. I think the rain certainly helps it. Um, the rain or the cold weather um, certainly will help it. I, I you know, I, I don't know. I know lots of, I, I know that lot, I know lots of people who are sheltering in place, staying at home, but you know, we leave the house on a nice day and we see what's happening. So I don't know. I don't know. I honestly can't tell you whether or not um, it's going to get through to people. I certainly hope it does. Um, doctor, co-owner, general manager, and professional gambler, Jeff George, <laughs> I had a question for you. So you, you, have you been to, what, have you been to Baltimore within the last couple of weeks or have you been sort of, uh, sticking in Philadelphia while this crisis has been going on? I was there last night and, um, it was interesting. There's definitely a decrease in census and like the volumes down for sure the amount of people coming in to get treated for their emergencies. Uh, however, the acuity or how sick they are is definitely higher. So when I walked into work, there were multiple cardiac arrests and strokes and just bad stuff happening. <clears throat> and then um, the updates about how to protect yourself get uh, changed all the time. So I had to get like up to speed about how to protect ourselves as you know, what rooms we go in, there's a million emails and post-its all over the place, and it was overwhelming. And um, yeah, that was tough. I, for the, I haven't felt that way in a long time. Where you know, I've been doing this a long time, and uh, you know, you're, you're taught not to worry, not to panic, just do your job. But that I, I remember that feeling when I started yesterday, and there was a few sick people to be dealt with right right away. And that it was just sort of like that um, sunken feeling in your stomach, like, oh, my God, get, just get me out of here. You know, I just I don't want to get infected. And this whole place is like turning to hell right now. But it, it did calm down. It was fine. I got myself, um, you know, uh, less concerned. And we don't know. Like, I don't know if 
I'm properly prepared as, as far as like protecting myself from this thing. You know, like we, we don't know, you can carry the, you can carry this virus and not have any symptoms or have minimal symptoms. And that may not, may not even be the reason you're there. Like I, we had a, a patient that was just completely altered mental status. Um, and it was after an overdose and it would just seem like, okay, this is just drug induced and this, but this, you know, this vital signs were way off. And then event, eventually we found out he had a fever and then, oh my God, it was just like a, and I, I went into that room, like not prepared because why would you as an, why would you gown up for an overdose? You know? Um, so I came out of that room just thinking like, okay, well, I, this is, it's risky going to work and doing my job on a normal day, but it's extra risky now. So, and, and everyone, everyone at work is feeling the same way. There's, you know, there's, um, you can definitely tell that people are, are shooken up about it. So it's hard to, it's hard to get through the shift. I mean, obviously you can't speak for every medical professional around the country, but how do you deal with that? I mean, that sounds awful. <laughs> yeah. It's, everyone. I mean, one, I'm like grateful. I have a job. Like I feel for people that can't, work you know, they have a small business or they're a waiter that sucks you know i'm blessed i have a job like this to do and i also you know like to help people um that was my calling um i don't know i think it goes back to our training like i trained at drexel's you know emergency medicine program and you're taught not to panic you're taught to i mean basically in your training you're put in situations where you're totally overwhelmed where you just feel like going to a closet and shutting the door. And um, you learn skills. Like, um, you know, for instance, working in a, in a surgical ICU, you're there by yourself most of the time. You're there for a 36-hour shift, and then you go back 12 hours later, do it again. And there's times where you're just, like, panicked inside. So you learn skills to talk to yourself and get yourself to be like, okay, you have to focus. Like, Everyone's looking at you to make a critical decision. It may not be the best, like the most perfect decision, but you have to make a decision. And that sort of, that experience and that training was like never ending too. It was just years of bombarding in your head. Like you have to be the calmest person in the room, make rational decisions. And um, that training is, um, is still there. I mean, yesterday I definitely felt like, ooh, for the first time in a long time. Like when you, when you first start, out of residency, you feel that, you know, you, you always have someone maybe to go back to go back to and help you out. When you start off as an attending, you're on your own and you start, you really feel like this huge responsibility. Um, and yesterday, I definitely felt that again, that little unease, a little unsure yourself. Um, but um, you do the best you can. You, you use the tools that you were given. Thank God I had that, that, that program that at times caused me so much stress and anxiety and sleepless nights and self-doubt all the time. But then without that, I would, there's no way I would, I would just, I would just not go to work. Well then I'm glad you had to live through so much stress. <laughs> we're, we're... I, also that, I also think that this um, is it's the thing that's a little bit frustrating, I think for um, at least myself um, is that people you know, I'm a physician and I, you know, had a brief glimpse, you know, during my training of what Jeff has to go through. He was laughing at me right now because he knows that I, my dermatology training wasn't anything, can't even like, I don't know, scratch the tip of the iceberg here. But you've been there, you have to go through a year of 
internal medicine and you have to be in the ER and all these things. And, you know, I remember from that 18 years ago, um, what it was like doing that. And even having been through it myself, um, I think until Jeff and I sat down and had a heart to heart last week about, um, just working and, you know, the risks and, um, and kind of how we were going to navigate the next few months together. Um, it made me realize that, you know, even I as a physician kind of until he was explaining to me what it was like really, um, couldn't really understand, right? Like the stress and the feeling of dread and anticipation um, that a lot of the frontline physicians are dealing with right now. Um, and I think that it has to be even harder for the outside world to see that what they're doing, staying in their houses, not hanging out, not going, you know, to, to train or, you know, small group functions or whatever. And like they see that like the downstream effect is that like, I mean, think about working in the ER, you've got gunshot wounds, Jeff works in, in high level trauma centers and traumas and heart attack victims and kids, um, being sick. And then you take that magnify and then put on the layer of coronavirus and not just, the medical part of it where people will be having a hard time breathing, you know, resuscitating people, getting people stable, deciding where they're going to go, who's testing, but then on top of it, layering it on the fact that like, you have to worry about, am I protected enough? Do we have enough stuff? Right. Am I going to bring it home to my family? Um, I just don't think that it's, that it's hard for like the, 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 the regular public, I think, and even myself to grasp like the like multiple layers of, of, of pressure that these guys are under. And so it makes me even more, um, I don't know, dogmatic and um, about trying to get the message across that like, just stay home. Like it'll be over in a few weeks, you know, hopefully a few weeks, hopefully not a few months. Um, but, you know, you might not know anybody, you might not be on the front lines, but for the love of God, like the people who are, you know, they're already having a tough enough time before it's before this, you know, the, the, the high acuity overwhelming, um, I guess, crush of patients come in that like, let's do the best we can to kind of stem the tide and make it easier for them in any way possible. So that's kind of, I don't know where we're at. <laughs> uh, so Christina, you told me before that you have a friend who is in Spain, who also works at a dermatology practice, and that she uh, was being called in to do all of the uh, other, you know, everything else in the emergency room, as from what I understand, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but that she was being called in to do the other work that these frontline people were being uh, taken away from to handle the COVID situation. And I am um, perhaps ignorant of what it means to be a medical professional. I just thought that there's a base level of doctoring that you need. But do you think that that's something that like, are we close to that? Or is that something that you think about? I mean, you, you just said, like, it, that would be extremely difficult for you to put yourself in that situation. You know, what is, would that happen here? I mean, it's not outside the realm of possibility. It really isn't. Um, we laugh about it now. I was shocked. I mean, I would, what, I was laughed for to myself for a split second when I got that message from my friend, but it was literally lasted a split second because... I realize that it's true. Like it very well could happen here. Um, she said that she knows she works at Valle de Hebron Hospital, it's a University Hospital in Barcelona, that they're overrun with COVID patients. They're looking for places to put more patients. You know, everybody knows they're like erecting temporary makeshift hospitals. She said that the whole 
hospital was overrun with cases. Everyone's so sick, and she'd been home, and the whole country or the had been, you know, say, would, was kind of, you know, quote, unquote, sheltering in place for the past week, and that as of Thursday, seven weeks into her stay-at-home order, her, you know, hospital system emailed the derm department and said, all dermatologists on board, you guys need to man the non-COVID floors and the non and, and the ED for the non-COVID patients um, because they were running out of resources, including physicians. Um, could it get that way? I mean, I certainly think so. I, I, I am getting some random emails, you know, from the Department of Health being like, thank you for being a frontline provider, you know, like messages that you know, that I've never seen before. So it makes me wonder, like they all know who the registered medical professionals are in the city. So I don't know what that means. I don't know if it's preparation. I don't know if they, they, I'm sure they have that backup plan. Um, I know Jeff has, I mean, you can speak for yourself, Jeff, but I know he's got an email saying that they are recruiting non-ED physicians, right? To come down and help out if needed. Is that true? In in case of a surge of patients. Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're coming up with plans for that. Yeah. And when I when I texted my group, you know, we said, <laughs> I mean, it's it's funny but true, but it's like God forbid you have a dermatologist, you know, trying to resuscitate you. It's like my my partner joked, you know, she was like, "There's going to be a bigger public health emergency if I have to go like man the ED," you know. Um, but you know, it's not it's not it's it's not only not impossible. It's like well within the realm of possibility. I mean, New York is is. I don't know. I, I worry about them. I have a lot of friends up there who are physicians. Um, and it does seem like it, the virus is outpacing them at this point. So I don't know. It'll be an interesting next couple of weeks. So you guys, in addition to being great medical professionals, are also the parents of two, you know, lo- lovely children. I assume they're lovely. I don't spend a lot of time with them. But they, <laughs> I was told... You know, two weeks ago, I was told I'm a teacher. That's my day job. And I was told there's no way they're going to cancel schools because we need all these medical professionals to have somewhere to send their kids. And that like the next day, they canceled my school for two weeks. So that lasted all one day. But how are you handling being full time parents and also, you know, full time doctors and also Phoenix employees, Phoenix owners? (laughs) Um. We made sure to get a lot of wine before the liquor stores closed. <laughs> um, we, like, um, we do have a good, a great support network here um, with my, with my most of my family being in the area, and we do have a, a wonderful babysitter who's been with us for a long time, who um, is almost as much of a workaholic as I am, and really is practically part of our family at this point. Um, it's very chaotic. We have a six and a half year old and a ten year old. Um, you know, having them home for a week, kind of fun. Like you mentioned, we're all super busy. So certainly for the past like 10 days, I think it's been nice for us to kind of be juggling, going to work, having it be a little bit slower, waiting for all this stuff, hanging out with the family. But I do anticipate that this is going to go on for a little bit. And I'm full, we are fully aware that our kids might not be going back to school for a while. And it's um, going to be very taxing. You know, I think that the school administrators are trying to get them to do schoolwork and are starting these online things. But I think that um, there's a, there's a headline today in the New York Times saying like, oh, now a mom and I have five jobs instead of one, right? Um, it's just hard, you know? It's like, we're all trying to prep. You know, what happens if we all go on lockdown, right? What happens if we get car in quarantine because somebody gets exposed? Does the house have enough food? Do the kids have enough activities? They're bouncing off walls. Um, and then there's the whole added level of the, the, the school trying to keep them engaged, right? So they already gave them lesson plans. I mean, 
my 10 year old is thankfully is extremely responsible um, and very mature. So, you know, we just go over the plan and she'll do it. But our six and a half year old, I mean, he doesn't even like not even a good reader yet. So everything that is gets sent home, we have to do with him. And now they're all trying to do like morning meeting online online classes and it's great but you know someone has to be there to orchestrate it all for both children so it's a little bit chaotic um it's the new normal it's gonna have to be what it is um but, but and they're also like best friends and they can hang out all the time and we've always encouraged that but they they never get sick of each other and just like my brother and i when we grew up like we were never around our parents we were constantly playing or or coming up with some, you know, making a fort or whatever it was, uh, keeping ourselves occupied. And they're doing a great job at that. They built a fort in the basement. They've been sleeping in it for the past, like, six nights. I mean, that sounds pretty fun from a We're kid's perspective. Keep it right. possible for them. <laughs> I'm not worried about you guys then. You guys seem to have it covered. So I, don't, I just don't understand where, like, it seems like you guys have more time in the day than, than I do. Like, I... I don't know if you're waking up early or something, but you guys are doctoring and parenting. And then also we had Christina, we had like a three hour marketing call on Wednesday <laughs> and Jeff, you and I talked for like an hour about uh, like arbitrary Phoenix things. And then we spent 20 or 30 minutes talking about basketball, which doesn't exist anymore. Like I, I just, went, and then, and, and I felt like, okay, that's it. That, my day is done now. I have fin completed my day, and I went to bed. And, and then you guys just said, like, 40 other things that you managed to do. I don't understand, like, where you're getting the ability to do any of this. Uh, well, Christina has mania. That's like, uh... <laughs> <laughs> You have mania. I used to have mania. That's... I used to have mania. I don't have it as much anymore. Got older. But I don't know. I, I guess I, I always think people, they make time for what's important to them. So, I mean, the Phoenix is something we've committed to and we're really excited about it still. And if you're excited about something and love it, you find time for it. So, um, no, I get plenty of sleep and plenty of downtime. I haven't watched much TV lately. I don't really care to see what's going on. I've been reading um, and trying to, to uh, you know, keep up with emails and that kind of stuff. But um, there's plenty of time in the day for the Phoenix. I don't feel overwhelmed at all. I mean, if you love it, you're not overwhelmed, you know? So. I mean, he spent, he literally spent five hours, I think, on a phone call with um, Himmy and Coach Hampson working on some, some, some organizational stuff on the ultimate operations end. And then he came in and it's true. You love it. You love it. Then we spent another hour on the couch talking about what they had talked about and fine tuning some things. And I don't know, you love it um, and you do it. And I don't know. We're also playing some cards, and I think the two of us also have a, have a significantly, maybe a higher baseline energy level than some people. And I hate to break the news to you guys, but I am. Uh, Jeff calls it manic. I call it high energy. Um, but I also happen to be a female, and we are damn good multitaskers, Shaggy. Oh man, yeah. Hampson told us about that uh, about that phone call. He said you guys are putting together like a fifty-page book, and you put together five pages over five hours. So you know, well, two well, solid days of doing this. That's, be that's, not, that's, not, that's not too accurate. It's it's a, right now. It's about sixteen pages. Uh, <laughs> we're gonna send out the first part soon. I mean, this is something that um, was a goal this year. Something that. When our last team meeting, I addressed that this was going to be coming. So we need to deliver on that. And it's a bigger project than than um, we realized. 
Um, and it, it, right now, it's basically a bit just about the philosophies um, of offense, defense, and um, general guidelines on the field. I think Mike Arcada is working on the operations handbook, which will deal with, you know, who to call, what to do, what the, um, how to streamline um, your your communication as a player, and um, marketing stuff like that. And um, sorry, and medical stuff. And medical stuff. Like if you get injured, this is this is what this it's is what you do. This our, is our protocol. Yeah, with our head position. She's doing that stuff. Uh, the the captains. And the coaches and I are are formulating this player handbook that will, um, which should really help our on-field organization and, and and have our goals out there in writing so players can reference and you know learn on their own time when they're just hanging out at home on their couch they can just pull it up on their computer and study it I'm trying to make it not make it too detailed um, and that's that's the tricky part is what to put in there, what to take away. And it has to be in a good language that the, the players enjoy reading it and can understand. Um, you know, we'll, we'll get to the play, the specific plays later, they're there. But right now, it's just the general principles. And that's an accumulation of of all of our experiences, like the, the coach's experiences, the, 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 um, the, the captain's experience, and, and my own experience as a player. Um, and putting that all together is fun because we all have opinions about it and there's different writing styles. So yeah, that takes time and probably underestimate how long that actually takes, <laughs> but it's fun and important. And it's, and it's a goal that I think we, we can finish pretty soon. When do you think we'll be able to transition from preparing for the season to having the season? I don't know. Like that's, a great question and definitely a concern, but I think with all this stuff going on, um, like my focus has shifted from the on-field stuff right now and when the season, like it's kind of out of control. So it's, it's a, it, right now it's not, it's not a good use of my energy. So um, uh, right now I'm just, I'm concerned about the players' well-being, like their mental well-being. You know, there's, these are players, and I remember being a player. Like this was ultimate was my life. Like that that was my community, and what I looked forward to. When that's taken away, that is um, really tough, especially if like you devote this much time to your craft and, and your sport. So um, no, I worry about that, and they they, they have an uncertainty to the future. I, I I I'd like to put have that put on me and not let them not worry about that, because when you start worrying about that, you kind of you stop. You stop working, and I want them to focus on ultimate. Even though you can't play it, like think about the game. Maybe watch some film. Think about what you do with the disc and how you cut, how you defend. This is a the mental game is so important, and I think that's a huge area of, of potential improvement in of all Philadelphia players. I mean, we're just we're known to be great athletes, and we can sky and get D's and jam the disc in the end zone and score sometimes, but. I think our city needs just to be smarter overall players. And this is a great time for them to look at themselves and uh, look deep in about how they approach the game and what they can do, um, you know, to get their mind ready to play it at this level. Because I'm looking at our roster looks great, right? But I'm looking at other rosters, they look great too, which is really fun for these players. I would love, I mean, 
what an what an experience! You get to go up against uh, you know a stacked DZ Breeze team or a Raleigh Flyers team, and you really get to you know see where you stand. Um, and that that excitement is amazing. Right now, it's on hold for their play, uh, for our players. What's more important though is like their is 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 their mental health, you know, their financial health. And I don't know I don't know the details of what they're going through right now. I can imagine some of them or even most of them could be under a lot of stress right now. And that sucks. And then on a smaller level, like guys like Paul Owens, Brandon Lamberty, that they lost their college season and they're bombing too. So that's where my head is right now. Not so much when the season's gonna happen and how we're gonna do. I don't really care that about that much right now. That makes sense. I mean, like you said, it's not in your control, so better to not worry about it. That seems like a very smart way to go about <laughs> doing this whole process. Is I mean, there anything else you guys? Oh, sorry, what were you going to say? Sorry to interrupt you. Uh, we are fortunate to have like bought-in players. Like, for instance, like Greg Martin put a ton of time into the overall fitness plan, which players can still execute um and should be executing i mean they should be staying in top shape it'll help their their mental stress i mean everything's like your physical mental um you know it's it's an axis right you you get you exercise really hard your mind feels better if your mind feels better you exercise even even better more efficiently um you know Himala himalaya put out a, a specific social isolation workout program for the team <laughs> that's like really caring that's like really buying in and really putting your foot forward. Paul Owens is dissecting film from 2019 and going nuts with that. And, and he's a young player. He, at that age, I just sat back and let leaders lead and I just followed. And he's taking a leadership role right now, which is impressive, especially that he's still in school and you know his college season just ended. He, he didn't um, feel sorry for himself. He's, he's engaged. And that's, I think players see that and um, that can be very like energy producing to 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 see what other players are doing to step up. Awesome. Well, is there anything else you guys want to say to, to all the Phoenix fans about anything, anything at all? Listen to the Burning Bird. It's awesome. <laughs> You've got Grace, a great host, <laughs> and it's the one way you can still have the in on what's happening with the Phoenix during this little extended preseason that we have. Um, what else? Sign, we super appreciate. Yeah, we appreciate everybody's support and um, and just like um, the outpouring of excitement, enthusiasm that everyone's had um, over the past year and. Um, we just want you to know that we are working super hard um, so that when we are finally all systems go, that we will have a super um, fun, super competitive product for everyone to see. Um, yeah, that's great. We just love, we love Nick's nation. They really are the best. And they're kind of like the ones along with our amazing players and staff that really kind of is the, is the impetus behind um, this, this this thing just continuing to grow the way it is so it's super fun and i uh and i'm so i think we feel really fortunate and blessed to be a part of it yeah yeah stay focused don't panic try to remain positive this is the season may be truncated it may not happen let's just be honest it may not happen but uh the phoenix is still here we're a family we don't go away we're here for the long run um so I hope our, our team feels that way. 
So um, yeah, that's that's our message. We're here for you. That's Even great. Yes. Shoot us questions. <laughs> if you need to know anything, we bridge lots of different areas. <laughs> I've had people call me and freak out. Not not player, you know, random people. Yeah, we get all sorts of, how are you doing? And, are you guys okay? How's Jeff? What's going on with Phoenix? Blah, blah, blah. It's kind of nuts. <laughs> I had a I had a school parent I don't know too well call me and start crying about her anxiety about, you know, her mom may getting the disease. And I'm like... Which hat are we putting on now? <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> no, you, you just, I'll try to reassure people and um, try to make them feel a little bit better. Well, guys, thank you so much. Um, I, I'm sure you guys are going to tune in next week, right? When we talk about our big game of the week against Toronto, you're going to have time maybe in your busy, busy schedules to watch that game on AUDL TV. Huh? Yeah. Like for the 45th time. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Literally within five minutes of you setting us the burning bird link where I'm always on it, listening to it. <laughs> <laughs> Jeff's always like the next day, Hey, they sent the burning bird link and I'm like done took notes. <laughs> <laughs> man thank you that means a lot to me because we really do put a lot of work in it it's great to hear that well for myself alex shaggy shragas for steve leinert for coach dave hampson for co-owners doctors gamblers general managers <laughs> christina chung and jeff george thank you so much you've been listening to the burning bird and we'll see you guys next week